A picture is worth a thousand words, so they say. Isn't it interesting that when we go to take pictures of people, that we do everything we can to create a moment that's really probably not there? Let me explain. Okay, guys, let's get together. Okay, smile. Quit messing around. Just give me, give me one smile for crying out loud. We had a great time. Right? We want to we wanna capture the moment, but we want to craft the moment. And so pictures actually give you uh, whatever you want to lay out there. But it can be, in fact, regardless, it still tells a story. Whatever is in that picture, you can say, look, we were all together. Look, the, the kids are actually cooperating because they all smiled in that moment. Um, I like to take the before picture of the picture. And so I'll have three or four or five pictures uh, if, if I'm going to take the picture. So that way I can see, like, well, here's how it started. Uh, here's how it got. Oh, there was a good picture, right? And then maybe and afterwards everybody tried to scatter and we're like no we got to check the picture right easter's good for that christmas pictures mother's day fathers we really don't care about taking a picture do we remember usually it's kind of like you want to take a picture no i'm good like i see you every day a picture is worth a thousand words Jesus is teaching the kingdom parables. There's, there's a number of them. There's, there's six parables that we're going to go over today. And we actually talked about one last week that I'm going to review a little bit. This was a way of sharing a picture, a word picture, if you will. It was a way of being able to uh, teach uh, unknown things by bringing them alongside known things. So I'm going to teach you an unknown thing, but I'm going to put it aside to something that you already know to kind of parallel that. The word for uh, parable is parabole in the Greek. And this word actually means to cast alongside. So it seems consistent then that Jesus, speaking in parables, so many parables. If you look at uh, the Gospels, uh, specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke only, there are 48 different parables. John doesn't use, parables is not mentioned in, in, the, in the other Gospel, right? The Gospel of John. And so we have have these different stories, these parables, where something that is unknown is put next to something known. You do this all the time. When, so when you use like a really big terminology from maybe your work or something that you know, uh, my father-in-law tries to do this for me as well when he tries to explain things to me that are just above my head when it comes to like the, you know, the car and things of that nature. So you'll say things like, well... I don't know, have you ever gotten on a horse and, and this happened or whatever? Like, oh yeah, I've had that happen. Okay, it's like that. The horse is irrelevant. Don't get stuck on the horse, all right? <laughs> You've done that before where you're trying to teach someone and you say, well, it's kind of like this. Have you ever done this? Oh, good, okay. Well, it's kind of like that, but it feels like this. And you're like, oh, okay. Something I don't have a concept or an understanding of, an unknown, laid, cast alongside something that is known helps bring it all together from my understanding. So in Matthew chapter 13, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to touch on 
Uh, basically all of it today, so I'm going to need you to stay with me on this. Uh, there's a lot to cover, and I'm anticipating that you'll, you're going to be able to see how, uh, through Jesus' teaching, uh, what Matthew is trying to explain. Now remember, Matthew's a Jewish man. He was a tax collector, which made him even more hated because he was Jewish and a tax collector. Uh, but he was also writing in this book, the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, to a Jewish audience. So it's very specific. You have to understand the context, who, who's reading this, who are they writing to, the intentionality behind it. Obviously, there's definitely devotional applications for us throughout Scripture, but not all of it is actually written to us. So we need to know who, who's he talking to and how does this really apply. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, no different, Matthew's trying to convey that Jesus really is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. And, he was, and Matthew is all about what Jesus said. So almost all of the parables that you'll see, so many parables are in Matthew. That's why there's 28 chapters. If you remove all the parables, all the discourses, then you, the parables and the teachings, I should say, then you'll be able to see, wow, it's actually one of the smaller books. But Matthew wanted everybody to know what Jesus was talking about, whether it was parables or whether or not it was a different teachings aside of parables. Last week, we looked at the farmer scattering the seeds. You've heard this before. If you've grown up in a church or if you've been around a Bible teaching church of, of some sort um, that would actually explain what this means, okay, right? So there's a farmer throwing out the seeds, and some of them land on the path, and the path is hard, representing a hardened heart, a calloused heart, and the birds come down and swoop it up. We know from history that birds would actually hang out with farmers because they wanted to get what was left over, and the birds would come down and swoop them. Swoop it. Some of the seeds fell on the shallow soil, representing a shallow heart, somebody that got really excited but not really deep in understanding who Jesus was. Some of the seed fell amongst the thorns, and as it grew, the thorns and the weeds would just kind of crowd out the good seed and, the, and, the, and the, the, what was being produced. And then of this parable, there's four different types of soil. 25% is, is the only thing that is given to this here is good soil. Good soil, which actually aids to, if you see the Bible supporting the Bible, aids to the thought that the road to destruction is wide. Of the parable, 75% of the seed is lost somehow or not reaching its full potential. And then yet the, the, the other path, the straight and narrow, if you will, is only about 25% and very few find it. You see how this can parallel together? The more you read God's word, the more you begin to see how it all comes together to co talk about Jesus, his first coming and his second coming and what all this looks like. So we got through that yesterday, or last week. We talked about how in the good soil, the fertile soil, is a receptive heart. Somebody who is, who is ready to receive, ready to be discipled, somebody that's actually producing really good fruit. As we go through the next six parables, we're actually going to touch on the six of them today. That'll get us very, very close to the end of the chapter. Next week, we're going to spend some time in the Psalms out on the front lawn. On the 9th, uh, Pastor Melinda is going to be sharing with us the very end of chapter 13 with regards to Jesus being rejected in his hometown. And then we're going to go a couple weeks, and then I'm going to take a break from Matthew. Uh, we're about halfway through. 
uh, numerically, not chronologically, about chapter 14, and we're going to take a break, and we're going to do a series called Spiritual Cooking 101, and over five weeks, between myself and Pastor Craig, we're going to teach you how to study the Bible. And then we'll pick up Matthew again after that. So just give you like a little bit of understanding on where we're going, what's happening through this time. As we go through the next six parables, keep in mind that there is a distinct difference. There is a night and day difference, a black and white difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not. All too often we try to merge with the world believers, being like, well, I'm all doing it in the name of Jesus, but we're supposed to look different. You're supposed to act different. You're supposed to think different. You're supposed to do different. And so there should be. And then because there's a difference, when, when you're, when you, there, there's going to be levels of division organically. Jesus said himself, this is the organic way. When you follow me, there's going to there's going to show this division between believers and unbelievers. And so as we go through here, I want us to understand the big idea for today. The kingdom of heaven is for real. The kingdom of heaven is for real. It's not a figurative idea, it's not just a cute idea, it's not something that somebody made up years ago and we're still trying to make it work. Like the kingdom of heaven truly is for real. That phrase kingdom of heaven is very unique. It's very unique to Matthew. Matthew was the one that used it. Nobody else uses this concept or the phraseology of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, other, the other gospels will use the kingdom of God. It has been said that the kingdom of God represents more the spiritual nature and the kingdom of heaven, as, as talked about, represents the physical nature. What we know for sure above both of them, for both of them, is this. Both of them have to do with a ruling over, a ruling of. Let's just be honest. Somebody's going to rule your life. It's either going to be you or it's going to be God. Somebody's going to rule your life. You get to decide whether or not that's going to be you or that's going to be God. Either way, there's going to be a ruling that occurs. And we're going to talk through these six parables today and see what it's like within the kingdom of heaven. And I think you'll be surprised to learn that some of these parables are not so fluffy after all. Let's get into Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 24. This one, kind of an overarching, if you're taking notes, we're actually going to make some changes to the notes because I learned more as I went into my week. I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm a student. I'm an ongoing, constant student, and, and, I, uh, and I'm learning. So we're going to make some adjustments to the notes as we go forward. The first part is there in your notes, if you have a notebook for the, for the message, is discerning kingdom Growth, discerning kingdom growth. So let's go through the parable here, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Here's another story that Jesus told, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now you're going to hear this, you're going to hear this every single time. He uses this phrase, a simile, to be able to say the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Say that with me. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he says this ongoing to help us understand. It's, well, it's kind of like, and then he gets an explanation. Remember, he's talking to a Middle Eastern group of people, the Jewish people, within their context. 
So, so we're going we're gonna to unpack a little bit of that together. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where, the, where you planted all the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to, store, to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and then burn them and put the wheat in the barn. Now, this is something that they would have absolutely understand. We, do we have any farmers in here? No farmers? Well, if you find farmer, I need eggs. I'm just kidding. Um, so, so, so these farmers, they, that's what they did. Like they were, they were sowing and reaping. We see this consistently through scripture. And so this is the same terminology of something that they know to be able to teach something that they don't know yet. So when they say, hey, you planted all this good seed, but now there's weeds. There was, in, in the Bible days, if you didn't like somebody, they were your enemy, you would actually sneak into their field and you would, no joke, plant weeds. Uh, a weed that grows that looks almost identical, actually growing straight out of the ground where it begins to just grow up. It looks completely identical to weed itself. It's called the Darnell grass. And Darnell grass looks so dangerously close to this. Now, there was a special weed that was in the Middle East that, like this, that would actually, they would plant. There was laws against this because it would be so deceptive they didn't want somebody's crop to be completely ruined. But if you hated somebody bad enough and they were your enemy, you, you snuck in there and you planted weeds amongst the wheat. And you wouldn't know what to pull out. So you want me to take care of the weeds? How are you going to know? They look identical. You start pulling out whatever you think you know, you might uproot. You might actually destroy some of the good stuff. So what does this have to do? Fortunately, Jesus gives us an explanation of this a specific parable. So we're going to look down. We're going to jump down to verse 36, and then we'll come back. Verse 36, so that we can understand what this parable actually means. In verse 36, Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house, and his disciples said, uh, Can you please explain to us the story of the wheat in the field? So I think it's fair to say that the disciples weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. I can appreciate that because I likewise um, am one of those knives <laughs> where I can appreciate the fact that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Thank you, Lord, that you use us despite us. And I could only picture the disciples standing there as Jesus is teaching, right? Because you almost want to have a level of presence. We understand this, right? We don't want to be viewed as ignorant in a certain situation. Sometimes we make stuff up. And so I can see the, the, the disciples standing there going, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh yeah. And they go into the house and they're alone with Jesus and they go, so what were you saying? Right? That moment of, can you explain a little bit like what all that was about? And so Jesus does. Verse 37, the son of man which is a name that Jesus gave for himself, is the farmer who plants the good seeds. 
The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is actually the end of the world, and the harvesters, well, those are the angels. Just as weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the, throw them into the fiery furnace, and there will be, in fact, weeping uh, and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has with ears uh, to hear should listen and understand. This is literally speaking of hell. Did you know that Jesus talked about hell and judgment more than anybody else? So if he's going to put some more, so many highlights to it, I think it's something for us to pay attention to. It is real. It is legitimate. There will be a judgment at, one play, at some point in time in which... Believers and unbelievers will be separated once and for all. And those who are believers will receive that prize. They will receive the time of glory with the Father. And those who are not believers, there is judgment. Nobody has to experience that. You understand that? Nobody has to experience that. You have an opportunity to choose to follow this Christ, this Messiah that we speak of. Because there will be an ultimate judgment once and for all that will divide between the two. It's a warning. It's a legitimate warning. You see, Jesus is sowing wheat. He's sowing good stuff. The enemy, in this same space that we have to occupy, the enemy, the devil, is sowing weeds. He is sowing things that are going to cause destruction, cause distractions, cause busyness. He is sowing weeds in order to destroy. The, the devil has nothing good to do with any of this. But there's going to be a side-by-side -side living together, doing life amongst one another, until there is this great separation of believers and unbelievers. There will be a judgment and there will be a separation more profound than anything that we know like the misuse or misinterpretation even of this concept of the separation of church and state. Completely misunderstood and completely misused. Even, even that idea of separation. There will be a much greater separation than we can even fathom. Separation of this or that. A much more distinct that the Lord will do. Now, that is what we talk about discerning kingdom growth. There's going to be times in which you're going to see people that would consider themselves believers as growing, and you're going, something's not consistent. Something is not consistent with their life versus this, but it seems like they're doing fine. It seems like the Lord's not correcting them. It seems like they're getting away with everything. Make no mistake, there will in fact be a judgment. Everyone will have to give an account. So even though it seems like there's, well, I'm doing all the right stuff, and it seems like I can't get ahead, and yet these people over here seem to be doing all the wrong stuff, and they're doing just fine. Don't, let, don't be deceived. 
by what you see within this world. Be discerning. Be discerning. So if that is, in fact, discerning kingdom growth, then the next parable could be talking about outward kingdom growth. But you must have discernment. This is the parable of the mustard seed. Here's another illustration. We're going to go back to verse 31. Uh, since I wanted to give you that parable and then the explanation, now we're going to go back to verse 31 to see these other uh, parables. Uh, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, uh, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, you may say, if you know anything about seeds and what a mustard seed looks like, and you would say, wait a second, I, I have bigger seeds than a mustard seed in my garden. Well, we're talking to a Middle Eastern mindset, the Jewish people, and in their garden, this would have been, right? This would have been the smallest. And so you've got to keep into context what exactly is being shared here. But there's some interesting things here that I think that I missed, I've read this so many times and I've missed some stuff and I want to, and I'm, I'm wondering if whether or not, maybe you caught it before, you seem smarter than I am, and so maybe you caught it uh, even before I even was able to catch it. Mustard seeds grow into bushes, not really trees. Why would Jesus exaggerate such a truth? It's a warning. Jesus does not offer an explanation so we have to rely on what we already know from the previous parables. If you go to Bible college, you may take a class known as hermeneutics. Very big fancy word that actually is simply this how, to, how to study the Bible. And there is a rule known as expositional constancy. Expositional constancy is simply saying, okay, what's consistent within Scripture? Who are the birds? What, what was the birds referred to before? And what are trees referred to before? Well, if you remember last week, and I just reviewed it, when the seed fell on the hard soil, what came to swoop up the seeds? You guys are so good. That's a bad thing. It's actually a symbol of evil, a symbol of the enemy. And so to have this expositional consistency or constancy is to say, okay, so birds here mean something bad, something evil. We don't just immediately switch to something else. Within scripture, you read about a dove. If you know anything about that, dove is regularly referred to as a symbol of peace. Symbol of peace. You don't just go to the next chapter and now the dove is a representation of a symbol of death. Right? No, you don't have that flip-flop. So the consistency is that birds here would mean something bad as well, something wicked. We've already seen it earlier in this chapter from the birds that swoop and grab the seeds on the hard soil. Tree. Why would Jesus exaggerate this concept? Now, some can grow unusually larger, and they may be able to be strong enough, just strong enough to hold a bird. But typically, when you think of tree in the Old Testament, specifically in Daniel chapter 4 and in Ezekiel, the tree represents a sense of world power. And so why would there be evil birds sitting upon this sense of world power? What is Jesus trying to convey? 
There will be good things that happen, but there will also be bad things that happen. This is not news to you. There will be good things, but there will be bad things that happen. There will be corruption among believers, so we must be wise. We must be discerning when it comes to outward kingdom growth. We must be willing to challenge and stay accountable with one another in order to ensure that we don't become like them. For instance, the liberal church today has abandoned the word of God, embraced and celebrated certain lifestyles that has substituted, uh, that also has substituted biblical justice for social justice is nothing more than evil influences perched on the branches of an overgrown tree that looks nothing like it's supposed to be. Within even the idea of church today, there is corruption, there is evilness, there are birds perched amongst this tree that was never intended to be like this tree. So you have to have discernment. Don't, just because it's online doesn't make it true. Amen? Amen? And so when you go online and you're looking for something to learn, something to grow, something to maybe something with scripture, you've got to be discerning. It doesn't matter how excited or attractive the communicator, the speaker, the pastor is. It doesn't matter how, how exciting the teaching comes across. Pay attention to what they're actually saying. You, when we're done here today, you will know more about the Bible and less about me. I will share stories with you from time to time to help you understand and help us have even a lighthearted moment. But I want to spend most of my time sharing with you what God's Word says. If you go online and you listen to maybe one of your favorite preachers, you'll probably hear a little bit of scripture and a whole lot of other stuff. What, is the what does the passage even say? We don't know, but we know that they had a good time on their vacation and all the stuff that came along with it. There is, in fact, corruption within the life of church in general. And this is a warning to watch out. That it can actually get into anywhere. This outward growth in the kingdom, you have to discern. If this is outward kingdom growth, then the next parable is going to be a level of inward kingdom growth. But you must have what? Discernment. You have to have discernment. How do I get discernment? Pray. Pray. Ask God to give you wisdom who is generous and will pour out wisdom to you. So that you can discern inward kingdom growth. Verse 33, another warning. Jesus also illustrated this. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. If you understand how yeast works and activates and grows, you understand this. If not, maybe you might remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was this big thing. Uh, they called it friendship bread. Raise your hand if you ever participated with that. All right, super fun. Uh, so basically, they'd give you a golf ball size piece of dough. 
and it was, you know, here, friend, right? Friendship bread. And then you would take it home with very intentional instructions. So much yeast to add at a certain time, so much water. You put it in a Tupperware container, and then you would, you would seal it. Sometimes you would have to burp it. That's a real terminology. And then you'd have to let the air out, right? And then you'd have to, and then as that's growing, you're taking more parts off, and you're growing it, you're actually uh, putting it in other containers as well. And then before you actually bake it, you take a part of one of them, a golf ball size, and then you share it with somebody else because this yeast will permeate into it. Now you look at that and you're going, well, that doesn't sound all that bad. Like, what's, what's wrong with that? What Jesus is trying to say here is this understanding Yeast. Yeast is not a symbol that we would say is a pleasant symbol. It's actually a symbol of evil to the Jewish people. In all three synoptic gospels, it is recorded that Jesus said, Beware of the yeast, or in somebody's translation, it may say leaven. If you have that translation, leaven, you have leaven, yeast, yeast, leaven. Got it? Beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees regarding the deceptive teachings because they were teaching stuff that wasn't consistent with God's word. Beware of the yeast of Herod, we were told. A little leaven leavens a whole. Nobody knows that? I'm going to revel in this for a moment. That I know that. Of course, I just learned it this week, but a little leaven leavens a whole lump. A little leaven, a little yeast, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Meaning that just a little bit of deception, a little bit of off, right? You're a little off the mark. We got to bring you back. Because if you're just a little bit of deception up within the church family, you got to deal with it. If a church does not deal with the sin within the life of a church family, then it could actually permeate, just like the, le- the yeast or the leaven, it could permeate within the life of the church family. And before you know it, you have other people that are affected or infected with this yeast because it moved in such a way. And now we go, well, I think thought this I thought that we're no longer looking at scripture we're just listening what each other have to say so yeast is not looked at as a good thing it's actually looked at as something to be aware of the church will grow but it will not but it will not have only good things if the church does not address the sin then it just gets more prominent within the life of the church. Look at the church talking to Galatia about dealing with legalism, talking to Corinth, dealing with immorality. So the Corinthian church got two letters. (laughs) You should read them. They were a hot mess express for sure. And they were letting all kinds of things run rampant. And Paul was very, very intentional to say, you know that stuff over there, that junk you're celebrating? He needs to go. Paul, we can't do this 2023. You know, here we get sued. (laughs) You know, here we offend people at a rapid pace, which I don't try to do, but I'm not afraid to do. And so what, what does that look like? If somebody's trying to be destructive, like truly destructive within the life of the church, we will in fact have a conversation. It doesn't have to be a very, like it doesn't have to be something that is happens on Sunday, Right? But we're not afraid to do that. What does that mean? That means that 
we're talking like an extreme level of destruction uh, that maybe we just need to have a conversation. Rarely would that ever need to be. Most conversations would be within each other. We just, hey, let's, can we talk about this? We see this in your life, you know. How can we address it? Things of that nature. But things must be addressed. Now, within your notes there, we just did the parable of the yeast. And now we're going to go down to where in your notes in the notebook it says, The kingdom of heaven has the highest value. What I want you to do to be consistent with the context of what this is teaching, I want you to strike out the word has, and I want you to write above that the word given. The kingdom of heaven, given the highest value. I guess you could have left has. Thinking in my head made sense. I say it out loud. You're like the guinea pig of the day. You come back at 11, I'll have it all together, man. <laughs> man, he's so good. Well, because he, he was stumbling through it at 9 a.m. Of course it was good at 11. Anywho, I digress. So the kingdom of heaven gives the kingdom of heaven gives the highest value and here's why i say that verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field in his excitement he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get mon enough money to buy the field now we have two different parables have the very similar same uh, uh teaching that is happening here. So we have the teaching of the hidden treasure and we also have the teaching of the pearl. Let's talk about the treasure for a minute. Oftentimes, uh, people will interpret this to say, this is an individual, right? So the, the man is a person, like you and me, a human, and the treasure is Jesus himself. And when the person finds Jesus, they do whatever it takes to attain Jesus Right? You can stop right there if you have a biblical understanding, even a worldview, if you will, of what the gospel really truly is. When you became a believer, how much did you pay to receive that salvation? Nothing. What have you had to do to maintain? What have you had to pay Right? Nothing. There's nothing you can do, nothing you could pay, no amount of money whatsoever to attain salvation. That actually leads to a doctrine that is false, which is the idea of faith by works, and that's not accurate. So when you look at this and you say, okay, so uh, perhaps maybe... That's not, that's not accurate. So who would it be, in fact? Well, if you look at who pays the ultimate price for you and for me, Jesus. He paid it all. He paid his entire life. He poured it out because truly you and me are the treasure. This isn't a self-help talk. I'm not going to recommend books that keep you encouraged. I'm going to remind you of the truth that Jesus left heaven in the form of man to be here amongst us, paid the ultimate price with his death to cover sin, to pay for sin that we could not pay for. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the 
on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Understand, no one, Romans 3.11, no one is truly wise... No one is seeking after God. The Holy Spirit is always the initiator. This, this absolutely throws a wet blanket on the concept of seeker-sensitive strategies because we're not seeking, we're responding. See the difference? We're responding. If the Holy Spirit is doing a work through you and, and, and in you and drawing you, you have an opportunity to respond. And our responsibility is to help to nurture that, to instruct through that, to guide, give opportunities for that, and to simply be real. Did you know, do you, you understand, like when we say like pearl, we're like, oh, look at me, I'm a pearl. <laughs> You have any idea how a pearl is made? Now, you guys know this one. You guys know this one. A grain of sand gets into a oyster, and it irritates the oyster so much that it begins to give this secretion over the sand, layer at a time, layer at a time, layer at a time, until, in fact, it becomes something Beautiful. To keep my mind, my focus, my pride in check beneath the beauty of us being in Christ is a piece of dirt. You're like, this isn't very encouraging, Pastor. And don't go home today and say, well, he, he, Pastor, you were a piece of dirt. That is not a free-for-all. That is not a free-for-all. It is important to, to, to keep in mind, I am a piece of dirt covered by the righteousness of Christ. That's what makes up this beauty. Without Christ, I am dead. It's not that you just have a harder time getting through life. I am spiritually dead. I am ruling my own world. I am doing whatever I feel like doing or whatever I think about doing, which means I can do whatever I want to do. There is literally no morality at that point. There is no right and wrong. It's just whatever I want to do. Without Christ, I am completely lost. In Christ, I am found. I am accepted. I am significant simply because of what Christ says I am. Because of who Christ says that I am. So the kingdom of heaven gives great value to all of humanity. We are God's image bearers. Those who trust Christ as Savior are the ones that are called children of God. Anybody you've ever heard say, well, we're all children of God, aren't we? No. Those who have submitted before a holy God and asked for the forgiveness of their sins have been given the right to be called children of the Most High God. Now, the final parable here, this is yet another warning. The parable of the fishing net. This here, where you see the, the, the parable of the hidden uh, the hidden treasure and the pearl. Underneath that, I would you could write in there or somewhere in there, just write sorting the kingdom of heaven. This is a much better depiction 
than I originally anticipated, sorting the kingdom of heaven. This is a parable of the fishing net. Now listen as I read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, there it is again, a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. Very important to hold on to that. When that net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is what the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have already read this once, have we not? We have, in fact, we have read this once. And we see this consistent with the first parable that we actually studied as of today, where there's the separation of the weeds and the wheat. There will, in fact, be a judgment that Jesus speaks of. We don't talk about it enough, do we? Because we want self-help stuff. We want things that are going to just simply help me be a better parent. Just simply help me be a better person. Simply help me manage my money better. Like, just help me how to do that. I don't want to hear about things that I need to be concerned about. I just want to deal with the stuff right here and now. But Jesus talked about it. It's important that we, in fact, talk about it. Jesus highlights this, so we need to know about it. John chapter 3, verse 16, read from the New Living Translation, goes as follows. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We typically tend to stop there. What does it matter? Anything else? Let's just use those verses. But if you read on, John records in verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. If we could just be real with one another... Hey, have you ever thought about what it means to really know Jesus? And somebody says, actually, I just like the darkness more. Nobody says that. But is that not what we're saying? Isn't that what we've said before we became believers? We live that out in our own life. I don't want to have a part of that. I like this better. Verse 20 of John chapter 3. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. Most people don't want to be around believers. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. If they're truly believers, there should be a level of, a level of being uncomfortable with the reality of how you're living versus an example of how to truly live. Verse 21, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Second Peter tells us that he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God throws out this net far and wide and every kind is gathered. Every kind is gathered, but there is a sorting. Who knows me and who doesn't know me, Jesus would say. And there are some that are put into, okay, these are, the, these are the believers, these are my followers. This is the family of God. And these individuals are not. 
The kingdom of heaven is open to anyone who would believe in Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior. Jesus then asks his disciples, after all this drinking from a fire hose, and he says to them, do you understand all these things? Yeah, sure we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from the storeroom new gems of truth as well as old ones. When you become a follower of Jesus, as you are being discipled, you're a learner, a disciple, you become responsible for what you've learned. Full disclosure, God asks us to be hot or cold, not lukewarm. So if you're going to do it, then you've got to be willing to accept the responsibility. Full disclosure, for me to give you just a little bit of fluffiness is wrong. You need to see the whole picture of what it really means to be in the family of God. So back to our big idea. The kingdom of heaven, that's for real. The kingdom of heaven is for real. So what do I do with all this? Well, if what we have studied is true, and I choose to believe it is, how does that change the way you live? How does that change the way you live? Another minor change on your steps, uh, next steps, under share your testimony with someone soon so they can choose Jesus and experience life in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is for real. Are you going to keep ruling your life or are you going to let God do it? It's an opportunity comes so often, probably for many, the more you reject it, the more we become like that road that is hardened and calloused. The more we deny Jesus, the more we can easily resist. And so I want to have an opportunity for us to pray together. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray over you, and then I want to lead you for a moment in a prayer. So first, let me just pray over you. Heavenly Father, your word is intense. Your word is heavy. Your word is true. Your word is incredible. Your word is life-changing. What we've just heard is some warnings that you have given to us. And so, Lord, we're laying it out there. I pray that there will be somebody to be receptive to this truth, that they would truly begin with this decision, even now. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to walk you through a prayer. And you don't have to say it out loud. If you truly want to accept Jesus into your life, even now, if you truly want to ask for forgiveness, it starts with a decision. This would be that decision. Just in your own whisper, just repeat after me. 
Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I choose to believe you're that Savior. Please come into my life. Change me from the inside out that I may become a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing more magnificent than understanding the moment in which you say, I'm a child of God, and what that means. And we want to help you understand that identity in Christ. As we get, please make sure you tell me you made that decision today. Fill out the connection card, and it's on there, whether it's in person or online, so that we can help you and guide you and disciple you along the way. Will you please stand, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today? Remember, next week, 11 a.m., we're going to be on the front lawn, and it'll be a good time for all of us to be together. Now, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, say it with me. Go and be the church.